So glad you've joined us this morning. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here uh, at Outward Church and uh, one of uh, the pastors as well. Um, we are in the book of Ecclesiastes. You can turn there. We'll be in chapter 7 here very shortly. What we've been talking about over the past several weeks, I don't remember how many it's been right now, but what we've been talking about is out of the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, what we see is a guy who's seen it all, done it all, had it all. He's had more money than you and I can ever think of. He's had more wives than any man should have. Uh, he's had uh, more sex, more, um, more, uh, more money, more um, uh, building experience, um, uh, more relationships, more uh, respect. He's had everything in the world and more wisdom than anyone. And so here's this guy, his name's Solomon, and he's called the teacher or the preacher, depending on what uh, uh, translation you have. And he's talking about life, and he's talking about how uh, everything is meaningless or everything is vanity, and he's essentially saying that everything that you could possibly put your time and effort into is simply just a vapor. It just evaporates. So like there's so many things that all of us are working towards, like uh, your, your job and the promotion that you want or the, the relationships that you desire or the, um, the, your, even, even within the context of your marriage sometimes, there can, be, there can be this element of vapor. And if you put so much of your, of your life into all of these things, the thing that you're ultimately going to see is that the things that you're working for are not eternal. And what frustrates us is that we want something that's never-ending, we want something that's never going to stop. The way that we'd say that biblically is we want something that's eternal. And we keep seeking after it, and we keep seeking after it. And this is why we have this sense of, uh, of like, things just aren't right right now. I just don't have everything that I want, and I need to uh, go after these things. Sometimes we call that drive, or sometimes we say that we're a driven person, or sometimes we're just an addict. And sometimes we just, um, we're, we keep looking for things, we look at, and look for things. This is why uh, you can look outside of your marriage for, for something else, because you're looking for more, and you're looking for more, and you're, you're looking for more. This is why you're in, involved in so many different things, is because you want more, and you want more, and you want more. Or perhaps you're not involved in a whole lot of things, and, and really laziness is the theme of your life, and so you just want more pleasure, you want more relaxation, you want more peace. Either way, it doesn't matter what it is. The thing that you're looking for is Jesus. You're looking for him. You're looking for God, and it can only be fulfilled in him. And so Solomon gives us uh, some words of wisdom, and chapter 7 is a little bit confusing, but I would just put it like a general theme over chapter 7. We're going to be going through verses 1 through 14 if we make it all the way through that today. But really, 1 through 14 is really just kind of a collection of, of sayings. And really what it has to do with is, is simply just wisdom. Wisdom in our life and wisdom to get along in things. Wisdom to, uh, to live. And he's talking about how like there's this general theme in our lives where we're trying to avoid difficulty and we want to focus on the things that are happy. We want to avoid death and, and we want to think more about life. And in essence, if you were to look at your high school yearbook, uh, where it says, stay cool, man, you're the best, uh, have a great summer, you know, uh, best friends forever, BFFs or whatever, uh, depending on whatever, uh, whatever you, what, what era you grew up in. Um, we kind of have this thought process that kind of goes along with yearbook lifestyle, where we say, you know, I, I want only the best. <coughs> I only want to receive good. 
I don't want to receive bad. Don't let anybody get you down. Always be looking forward with the wind at your back, and I'm hoping that's what happens for you, and I hope you're super successful, and on and on it goes. You can think about all of those things that were perhaps written in your yearbook or said at your graduation ceremony or what have you, and, but oftentimes we don't understand what true wisdom is. We don't understand what it really means to live wisely. We don't understand what wisdom is, and so when we come into Christianity, or you just come into life in general, and things happen to you, and you, uh, and, and you say, you know, why didn't this happen? If there's really a God, then why did he allow these things to take place in my life, or why did he allow that person to pass away, or why didn't I get this thing in my life? If, if, if being a person of character is so good, you know, how come I always have to give up all of these other things? What, what, what is it about our lives that tells us that somehow God has not done right by us, and somehow God has not done the thing that we want him to do, and so therefore we just look at God and we say, you know, forget you sometimes. And sometimes you, you don't even realize that you're doing that, but in essence, you're living for everything else in life. It may be good grades, and it may be relationships, and it may just be money, and it may be uh, fill in the blank. But you're looking for all of these other things. But Solomon has some different things to say, and he says there's another way to live uh, by wisdom. So let's begin here. Chapter 7, we'll pick it up in verse 1, and I'll, I'll read through and say this. Chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment. You'll notice that these are what, what are called better than uh, proverbs. Uh, literally, um, in the Hebrew, it would be more good than, um, or you could say more gooder than, or more goodest, just to irritate the English majors. So, um, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth or entertainment. There's another word for that. Verse 5, it is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. We'll stop right there. 
Now, that last verse is really, I think, uh, much of the key to this passage. We'll, we'll start there. He says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. What's he saying there? He's saying this. He's saying, when you're thinking about your life and you say, uh, you know, you tweet something, hashtag blessed. So happy I get to go on this, you know, on this trip. I'm, I'm blessed. I'm, I'm so excited about what, uh, what's going on in my life right now. Got this, got this new job. That's pretty cool. God's been so good to me. What this verse says here is that consider that God has made one as well as the other. That God, in his sovereign rule over all of creation, I believe it's Spurgeon says, that God has every particle within the air, every dust molecule is under his control. He's sovereign over all things. And we are assured that he will bring all things to ultimately glorify him. And so what we know is this, is that God is in control of all things in our world, around us, even the bad things that happen to us. And get this, he's still good. He's still good. He's good to me in the good things, and I can rejoice in that. But he's also good to me in the things that I really don't like all of the time. God is good in all of these circumstances, and he has made the one as well as the other. And so for me to say, man, we've just been really blessed by the finances that, that we've had. And I've, I've said this several times because it's been pertinent to our conversation. I, I bought a house just this last year. And I, there's, there's times, even lately, where I've just said, you know, I need to be more aware of the blessing that God has given to me. But then I begin to think he has made the one as well as the other. And so if I was not in my own home and I was renting, that God is good. And if I was not in my own home, but yet I was homeless, God is still good. And if I lose my home, God is still good. He has made the one as well as the other. So if your theology or your view of God does not somehow include the idea that God is good both through the good things that happen to us and he's also good through the things that we perceive as bad. Let me tell you this, that you've got to understand this theology of who God is. And if you don't understand this, you're not understanding who Jesus is. You're not understanding what his life was about. You're not understanding anything. But I want to tell you something, that when you understand this, the promise of understanding a God who knows all, has everything under control, is this, that nothing will escape his rule, that nothing will escape his hand, that nothing can be out of his control. And so therefore, you serve the God who can't control things. I'm, I'm hearing that. Come on. Come on. I'll clap for myself. It's about God, right? Nothing ex escapes him. Nothing gets away from him. And if you don't have this reality going on in your life, then you're going to miss it. And difficulty's going to hit you. And someone's going to come to you and say, you know what, I'm seeing something off in your life. And you're going to say, forget you. Who the heck do you think you are telling me this? But our God is a God who holds blessing 
and difficulty in the same hand. Our God can take anything and make a masterpiece of it, including the most horrific event of history. Let's start at the top here. A good name is better than precious ointment. A good name is more good than precious ointment. What's he saying here? He's saying this. He's saying, who you are is more important than what you have. Your character matters than the things that you get. Your character matters. Now, why would this be in the context of difficulty or suffering or sorrow or what have you? Because of this. Because character doesn't happen through things that are easy. Your character as a man or as a woman isn't established because it's just easy for you to have good character. Your character is established through avoiding the things that say this, I value who I am and what I stand for over and above precious ointment. Now that's a weird thing to say because ointment, other, uh, other than the fact that it's an icky word, uh, we don't really identify with the idea of precious ointment. Ooh, got some Vicks VapoRub, you know, it's a, something like that. It's just an awkward thing to say. I mean, and that's not really that precious. Uh, it's aromatic, but it's not precious. Precious ointment is referring to the things that we have. It's re- referring to the things that you want. It's referring to the school that you want to get into. It's referring to the family that you want to have, the type of kids that you want to have. It's referring to the niceties of life. It's referring to the house that you want, the car that you want to drive, the wife that you want. Let's make it real practical here. Let me just tell you something. Many of you are single in here. Our church has many single people in it. If you're not, I'm so glad that you're here. For our more mature members, that means old if you didn't know that. But, uh, uh, you know, for for those of us that that aren't married, here's the thing is that a good name is better than precious ointment. A good name, your character matters than getting a relationship that you really want. You hold it as precious and you say, I want relationship more than anything else and I'm willing to go anywhere and do anything to get relationship. And let me just tell you, many of those marriages end in heartache and heartbreak and God will use that just the same to grow you and to make things different. But a good name is better than the things that you desire. Do you understand this? Do you see this? That your name has got to matter. Your character has got to matter more than the things that you desire. And then he says this, and the day of death than the day of birth. The day of death is better than the day of birth. Now I want to tell you that uh, in the delivery room, with uh, my wife, I'm kind of a squeamish guy, and so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm like, oh, they wanted me to cut the umbilical cord, and when you cut one of those, it's kind of crunchy. It's like, it's, uh, it's kind of a fibrous material, and there's blood involved, and I mean, I'm like in the birth of my first son right there, uh, watching in horror, and... Uh, um, and the doc is like, uh, you want to cut the umbilical cord? Because apparently people do this. You're gross if you did. And, uh, uh, and I was like, absolutely not. I do not want to touch that thing. I mean, I mean, like, I wear steel-toed boots, and I, and I, and I have a truck that, I've, you know, that I drive, and I eat a lot of meat, and I shoot guns. But I do not want to cut one of those, all right? Uh, my toughness only goes so far. So my father-in-law, who enjoys those types of things, apparently uh, 
cut, cut the uh, umbilical cord. I have no idea why I even told you that story. Uh, the day of birth, even through all of that, the day of birth is, is uh, still not as good as the day of death. That was a bad part of the day of birth. But the other part, the, 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 the other part is the joy of having a son. I remember I, I was sitting in, uh, in the, uh, the room, what are they, the thing on the stomach, what does it call a sonogram? Ultrasound, there we go. Uh, we're, we're in the ultrasound room. And what's that? Did I say it wrong? No? Okay, all right. In the ultrasound room, and uh, I was, we had not found out the uh, sex of the child yet. And so I was sitting there, and I was like, I was trying to be pastoral. And I'm like, you know what? Whatever God gives me, I'm fine with it. But then I'm sitting in this room, and all of a sudden, I just, this, this came over me. And it was like, oh, Lord God, I would love a firstborn son. I mean, I just, I would love a firstborn son. And then the, the, the doctor is, is uh, you know, or whatever she is, uh, she's, uh, you know, doing that thing all over the, the, the stomach. And then all of a sudden, I saw it. And it was a boy. He's a big boy. And so, um, we, I mean, I was so excited to have a son. I was so excited. Solomon says that the day of death is better than the day of birth. Now, that goes against like everything that we talk about, everything that we've written in a yearbook, everything that we really want to talk about. We really don't want to discuss death all that much. We don't, want to, we don't want to discuss that. In fact, we say things like passed away. They're in a better place. Life came to an end. We don't want to say that person died. It's hard for us. Many of you have had, all of us, at some point or another, if you've been alive for any amount of time, have experienced death. And so what you have to say to yourself is like, why in the world would Solomon say that, I mean, birth is good, but death is better. The day of death is better. Why is he saying this? Why, why is he talking about this? Verse 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Why is the day of death better than the day of birth? And it's because of this. It's better to go to the house of mourning, not like morning sunshine, like breakfast. We're talking about mourning like sad. Like it, it, it's better to go to the house of sadness than to the house of feasting. And he says, this is the end of all mankind. This is the end of everyone. Everyone is going to end up there. And he says this, the living will lay it to heart. The living are going to take note of a funeral. The living are going to be people who have considered death. And conversely, what he's saying is this. You're not really living until you've fully considered the implications of death on your life. You're not really living until you've fully considered that death is coming, that death is inevitable. You're not really living. I mean, you've heard people say this. This is common wisdom. Tim McGraw has, a, of course, a quote a country song, has a song uh, called Live Like You Were Dying. He talks about a guy that almost died and then he, you know, went skydiving, rocky, you know, whatever. And uh, he talks about 
living like you were dying. Solomon says essentially the same thing. He says, you've got to understand that the day of death is better than the day of birth, and you've got to see it to really understand, to take note of what life is like, to take note of what's happening in your life. But too often, many of us are living out of a high school yearbook. Too often, we're living out of a yearbook that, that's essentially saying, stay cool, man, I will. Always keep your head up. Don't let them get you down. You know, you're a really great guy, and I can't wait to see you this summer. But we're not really taking note of, there's some really sad things that have happened in life. There's some really difficult things that are happening. And you know what happens? Is it causes us to look at our life and not see the truth. It causes us to look at our life and to keep going in a certain direction without really even ever waking up. We don't understand the hopelessness that there really is in life sometimes and in our current trajectory. And so instead of uh, changing course, we just continue to go that way because we're living out of a yearbook. But Solomon says it's better to go to, go to the house of mourning and the people who are truly living are those who are going to lay that to heart. Rather than the ones who are like, you know what, I don't want to think about that stuff. I just want to think about life. I want to think about how everything is so good and just talk about that and then move on in life. I'm reading a book right now by a guy named Henry Cloud, and he talks about how oftentimes people don't understand what's going on in their life, and they can't really make changes because they've never come to a place of hopelessness. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thought, but he says, you have to come to a place of hopelessness in your current trajectory so that you're able to see the rest of the, with clarity. So that you can come to the, a point in your life where you say, okay, everything I've been doing isn't working. He says people so many times uh, continue in this pattern of, of hopelessness, but they're really a hopeful person, but that hope is not based on any one thing. It's not objective hope, it's just Based on nothing, it's just, I'm just a hopeful person, and I'm just going to continue in that direction. I've seen this in many people who grew up in Christian homes, and they go on in their life, and they think, because I grew up in a Christian home, then things will be fine. Because uh, things are going well with me, uh, God must like me, and so, you know, I'm, I'm going to continue uh, in this direction. But they never get woken up. They are never awakened to the true reality of who they are and what they need. They're never awakened to it. And I'll tell you this, when I see someone become awakened to the reality of who they actually are, I see their lives change. But if you're just set on this course in your life and you're saying, I'm going to continue down this road. I'm going to pursue money. I'm going to pursue relationship over character. I'm going to pursue all of these other things. You're never really understanding something. And that is that life is short it is going to come to an end, and you must lay it to heart. And if you do not understand this, that there is an end in sight, and you will be there before you know it. If you don't understand it, you lack wisdom. That's what Solomon says. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Let me explain this just a little bit here. It's kind of a confusing verse. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. 
uh, some scholars believe that they should say the heart is made better. The, the heart is more sound. There's a soundness to your heart, to the structure of your life when you understand what's going on in life and you've seen some realities when you've understood what's taken place. And then he says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It's entertainment and laughter. That's what the heart of mirth is. It's entertainment and, and, and laughter and festivities. It's one big frat party all day long, every day. It's constantly, I just look at the bright side of things. And Solomon says that that's only for fools. He's not saying don't have fun. He says that earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes. Have fun, eat, enjoy your your drink, enjoy your life, enjoy your work. But he's saying right here, he's saying if your entire life is all about festivities and entertainment, then you're missing something. If your entire life is only about binge-watching TV shows, you're in the house of entertainment. If your entire life is in the house of mirth, it's in the midst of entertainment, you're always sucking things in and you're saying, I just want, I just want things to entertain me. If your life and the way that you pursue God has to do with, I want to pursue the church that enter- entertains me and never really has this sadness of face, meaning approaching the realities of life with truth. If that's what you're after, it's a foolish endeavor. It's a foolish endeavor, and ultimately, we become fools. We become fools. Think about anybody that you respect. There's many U.S. presidents who grew up without fathers because they died early. Many of our greatest presidents. They went through lots of difficulty. They had sadness of face. But in essence, you could say, at least from a worldly perspective, you could say their heart was made better. Their heart was made more sound because of the difficulty that was in their life. When I was uh, in my early 20s, I'd come to a point in my life where I had to make a decision. Am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to go a different direction? So I went on a mission trip and I felt like God changed my life. I went on a mission trip with my church. I felt like God uh, changed my life. And so um, I came back, and I was on fire. And what I was on fire about was I was on fire to do God's work, to do his will, to do everything he wanted me to do. God, I will uh, climb every mountain, you know, however the rest of that song goes. Uh, I won't sing it for you now. I want to, but I'm not going to. Uh, I, I was ready to do all kinds of things for God. I was ready to do anything that he wanted me to do. But you know what my theology didn't include? This idea of sadness of face. Through sadness of face, the heart is made sound. I was literally just a fool. And I was somebody who was looking for entertainment. And I was looking for excitement. But God had other plans. Because I said to God, God, I will follow you wherever you go. And I want whatever you want. And he is going to turn around to me and he's going to say, yeah, Let's see about that. Let's see about that. Because I got back from said mission trip, found out my parents were getting divorced, which meant that my my dad's job as a pastor that I uh, very much respected was going away. So my identity was lost as a family. My identity was lost as I looked at my father. 
I had a girlfriend that I had been with for about five years, and I, and I was sure we were getting married. She broke up with me and started dating another guy the next day. She ended up marrying him. My friend John died in a motorcycle accident. I mean, there, I mean, there, there were so many things that happened during this, this period that it was, it was ridiculous. I was staying in a house with a bunch of guys, or with a, with a couple of different guys, and it was partying and porn and whatever we wanted. It was, it was this life that was full of entertainment. And I said, God, I, I, I want you. And he said, let's just strip everything away and let's see if that's true. Let's see if you make it through this sadness of heart. And I'm not meaning to suggest that, that God is somehow up there saying, oh, let's, let's jack with Matt here a little bit. No, because I believe this, that God has made one as well as the other. And he was saying, you know all that goodness that you've had? Let's see, if you, do you really trust me through the difficulty, Matt? And my, my life was decimated. My life was decimated. I, I could not imagine. I spent many, many nights uh, crying. I spent much time saying, God, how could you allow this to take place in my life? How could you, after all that I've done for you, I went on a mission trip I stopped watching R-rated movies. I'm, I'm, I'm not drinking beer anymore. I'm not doing all of these other things. And God just says, let's see. Let's see. Well, you know what? I look back on my life right now, and I'd say this. I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change what God has done in my life. I wouldn't change it because I look at my life, and I say, God, there's no way that my faith would be my own. There's absolutely no way that I would be following you right now if I had gone on and I could put my hopes in my parents' faith. As long as my parents are in this, that's great. As long as my dad is in this position, then that's fine. And so I couldn't do that anymore, and I had to say, do I really, really, really believe this? Do I really love God do I really want him? Will I really climb every mountain? And my answer at the time was, I said it before, God, if you want me, come and get me. It was me shaking my fist at God and saying, forget you after everything that I've done for you. But you know what? That lacked wisdom. And it showed in my life because I went on a little bit longer and I partied and I engaged in whatever I wanted and I was unhappy with life because God had called me to himself. And so when, you're, when you are really God's, when he has you, nothing else will satisfy. You, you, you have to get away from it. You just have to say, you know what? Those things are tempting, but they're not as good as him. They're not as good as what he provides me because in him, I see everything that I need. It's just him. What do you get for following Jesus? You get Jesus, Francis Chan used to say. You get, you get Jesus for following Jesus. I don't get a nice life. Jesus didn't get a nice life. I don't get comfort in this life all the time. I don't get peace right here and right now all the time. But he promises it to me. Why? Because he's sovereign over all things. He has made the one as well as the other. And he says this, my child Matt, I love him. 
and it would just, it would only perpetuate, it would only continue his foolishness if I let him go on believing that somehow he had a real faith as long as this was still in place. And so I will remove that for his good and my glory. That's, that's who God is. That's what he's doing for us. And so I made some decisions to begin walking with the wise. There's Proverbs about that, Proverbs 13, 20. I made some decisions to begin walking with wise people. And I said, if I'm going to be an idiot, I'll continue walking with idiots. But if I'm, if I'm going to stop being a moron and I'm going to start living in wisdom and understand who God is, then there needs to be some serious changes in my life. And so I made an appointment with one of my good friend's dads. And I said, I want to get to know you and I want to understand you. And I want to begin to walk with you. And then I actually, uh, and this is just by chance that this comes up right now. I, uh, during that time, I, I said, you know, I need to get into a church that is my own. And I entered into Morningstar Community Church in town here. And I remember uh, Pastor Ken Engel King hanging out with me, just spending time with me. What was I doing? I was walking with the wise. And, and he was telling me about Jesus. And we spent time together. This is when my life began to change. I couldn't continue in this course because I still had hope that, that I could just do all these things that were going to be so good. And when God ripped the car out, carpet out from underneath me and said, your hope is based on everything here and not on me. That's when life began to change. We've got to keep moving here. Verse 5, it is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. This is one of the most critical things that I began to learn. Someone challenged me early on in my newfound faith after having grown up in the church and then finally making a decision to truly follow Jesus, not just because my parents were following Jesus. Something uh, needed to happen in my life, and I needed a regular dose of wisdom. So I began reading the Proverbs, one on each day of uh, the uh, month. There's 31 Proverbs, and obviously that fits within the context of daily reading and so forth. And so I began reading these Proverbs. And one of the things that I began to understand is that I needed correction. I needed correction. I needed someone to come tell me what was wrong with me. I needed, I needed someone to speak life into me. In fact, the people that I respect the most in my life are the people who came to me and said, and said, Matt, you completely screwed this up. I remember uh, during uh, about this same period, I was about, uh, I was probably 21, 22, something like that, and I had gotten this job. I was building a deck for this old logger up in the hills in uh, Timbuktu, Staten. Um, my apologies if you live there, but uh, let's be honest, right? Um, I go, I uh, was building this deck for him, and I was still kind of struggling with this uh, party lifestyle, I think. And so I would be up till 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was, you know, I'm running my own business, and so I was like, I'll show up when it's time to show up. And so I would get out of bed when I finally woke up, and I would show up at work at the crack of 11 a.m., right? And uh, I uh, remember working with this old guy, and he uh, showed up one day, and he pulled me aside, and he said this. He said, hey, Matt, 
When you work for people, they don't want to see you show up at 11 o'clock. They want to see you here at 8 a.m. And if you want to continue working, you're going to have to change some things. And that means getting up earlier. You need to do this. And I was like, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. And at first there's like this anger that kind of builds up where you just go, you know what, forget you. I'm my own, you know, business owner. But I remember going on when I started to think about, you know, uh, he who is wise is going to walk with the wise. I began thinking, you know what, that was wisdom and it was shouting at me. And wisdom was saying, you need to change. I remember I got a, a job in ministry after I, I left uh, Morningstar. I got a job and I, was, uh, and, I, and I came to a staff meeting and I was hot and bothered. I got a bee in my bonnet over something. And I just thought, you know what, uh, uh, all y'all don't know how to do ministry, right? And here I am, I'm this arrogant 20-something kid. And I come into staff meeting and I'm like, Oh, no, you didn't. Uh, you don't even know the Bible, right? Um, I didn't say it exactly like that. But, I, you know, I, I, was, I was telling them what was up. Like, this is the way that ministry should be done. And I remember my gracious, gracious boss. He's the executive pastor over there. I think he's still over there. He pulled me into his office. His name is Jerry. And he said, Matt, you are very zealous. And I was like, zealous? No one's ever called me zealous before. That sounds fantastic. I, I don't know, zealous. You know, I, my pride is kind of uh, working up. And he just paused for just a few seconds. And in that time, pride and, oh, I'm look at me, came out. And he said this, but zeal without wisdom is not good. And I was like, ah, I'm a moron. Dude, I will never forget that conversation. I will never forget what he said. That might be the only thing I remember from him. And he, he just basically like went, you know, and just smacked it out of me. Just said, you're, he said in those few kind words, you're a punk. You need to shut your mouth. You might have some good ideas, but you act like a jerk. And he was right. And some of you were like, where is he now? Let's get him back in here, right? <laughs> I need to hear it all the time. Pastor Steve Dangaren over at Salem Alliance, who was is, who is on our um, executive elder team for a while until we just released uh, that team because we have in-house elders now. He, he said to me, uh, I was in a conflict with some people from the church. And some of you are going, there's conflict in the church? No way. And I, yeah, there was. And I had hurt somebody. I'd, I, I flippantly said something, and I didn't realize that I had said something, and I thought I was right. And we had a meeting with them, and I was asking Steve to kind of mitigate the, the circumstances because I obviously had screwed things up. And Steve pulled me aside, and he, and, and he said, hey, Matt, I just need to tell you, you hurt those people. It is your fault. You did this, and you need to apologize. And I don't mean just say sorry. I mean, you need to figure out how to apologize on a level that you've never apologized for. You know what? I appreciated that. I appreciated that because, because of what this says. It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than, than to hear the song of fools. You know what the song of the fool is? You're doing fine. You're a superstar. Go, go super far. I hope the wind's always at your back. You're going to go amazing places. 
You're, it's going to be fantastic. That's the song of fools. There may be good things in your life, and it's not, a, it's not a bad thing to celebrate that, but when that's the only thing that you do, it is better to, to understand the rebuke of the wise, the correction from people who know you, and even sometimes people that don't really know you and who notice something about you and just say, man, you just come across in a way that's just really abrasive, or you just... You totally screwed me over. You said that you were going to purchase this, and I ordered it, and then you said, oh, I don't really want it. And you know what? That lacks character. Or you know what? When you look at other women like that, and you talk about women like that, do you understand what that does to your wife? The person who was wise listens to the rebuke of the wise and says, you know what? You're right. But the fool wants to listen to the song of fools. And, it, and all that happens is this. It sounds like, a, like crackling thorns under a pot. It's, it's like these thorns. They're dry thorns. You light them. It's a really hard material. And, and you light them, and they flame up fast. And it just pop, 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 pop. You know, it's just really, it's just cackling. And you can go on being one of those frat boys. <laughs> But you're just cackling like the fools. And you're not listening. Listen, young people especially need to hear this. Be wise and listen to other people. You say, I don't know how to find wisdom. Go ask somebody. Show me in my life where things are jacked up. What do you see in me? And when they come to you and they say, here's an area of your life that's messed up, pay attention to that thing that rises up behind you and goes, oh, no, you didn't. That's not true because that's foolishness. That's foolishness. Verse 7, surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. Briefly, wise people are disturbed by oppression. Why is he saying this right here? I don't know. But he's essentially saying that this is, a, this is what wisdom looks like. That oppression is going to bother you. A lack of character on other people. The oppression of other people groups. Even the people that you disagree with, when they're oppressed, when they're legitimately oppressed, wise people know that's not even okay. But they're not Christians and they have a lifestyle that I don't like. That's not okay. That's not okay. Let's give them Jesus. Let's give them love. But let's not give them oppression because the wise are driven mad by oppression, by things that shouldn't be happening. Bribe, a bribe corrupts the heart. We often like to say, oh, I just made a bad choice, or I, I, you know, I, t I took this kickback or something like that, or that politician, you know, they just, they kind of made some mistakes, but no, Solomon says it corrupts the heart. The heart is messed up as a result. Verse eight, better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Mark Driscoll used to say this. He's no longer in ministry. But I think he said something that was very wise. He said the most important, I think he said it, uh, the most important day of your life is the last day. The most important day is the last day. Everybody puts money and time into uh, the first day of their marriage. Thousands of dollars, effort, all, all kinds of things. But no one's putting effort into the last day of their marriage. In fact, that's the last thing that they're putting in oftentimes. 
is when their marriage ends in a courtroom. And the question is, will your marriage end in a courtroom or will it end in a coffin? Where everyone is joyful for the years that you had together till death do you part. Or will it end in a courtroom? Some of you, your marriages have ended in, in courtrooms beyond your desires. Because you've had a husband that's abused you or abandoned you. Um, was sexually unfaithful uh, to you for, for some time and it was irreconcilable. But some of us are in a place in our life where, where we're not even thinking about the last day, we're only thinking about the first day. A lot of times we're thinking about the, the first day of our job. I really want to get that job, but then we go on and we're just not really happy about it. We're really happy about the first day, but we're not excited about the last day. And so is your job going to end in this way that's, that's, that's in disgrace, where you've disgraced yourself and Jesus because you're a, a cruddy worker, because you showed up late and because you were dishonest, or because you're angry all the time, you're always complaining, asserting your rights, trying to sue the company, you know, pushing other em- employees off. Oh, they don't believe like me, or they, they're really hostile towards Christians. Uh, so they were to Jesus as well. Do you recognize that? The most important day is the last day of your job and how that ends. Does it end well or does it end poorly? What does everybody think about you once you leave there? Is your testimony about Christ through the way that you worked, does it say something about who you are? Does your character matter than what you have? That's what that's saying. Most important day is the last day. Verse 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Foolish people get stuck in angry patterns. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. I was a guy on the job site, and I saw other men on the job site get angry and scream at people. And when I got into a position of authority, I would get angry and scream at people. And I ticked off so many people on the job site. And when someone would do something to me, I had a friend who I felt like had wronged me in work. He was my boss. We were very good friends. And I felt like he hadn't given me the work that he, that he owed me. He was using somebody else. And I got on the phone with him and I cussed him up one side and down the other. And I, and I, I, I gave him everything I had. I unloaded on him. I regret it to this day. I regret it to this day. I'm still friends with him, but that is always in the back of my mind, thinking I wish I had never done that to him because we were close, personal friends, and it changed everything. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. The NIV says to his anger. It is moronic to just let yourself go because half the time, at least, you're wrong. And it just divides Two more things here. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Stop looking backwards. I remember when this church first started, and I remember how incredible it was. That's not from wisdom. Most of us, including myself, were morons during that time. There's no way that this thing should still be standing. God has caused this people group to continue on. Verse 11, 
Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Wisdom is like having money in that it protects you from things like homelessness, not having food. Wisdom is good like an inheritance is what I believe it says. And it's in essence, it brings the sun out. It's an advantage to those who see the light. They see the realities of life. That's what wisdom does for you. And then he says, for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the knowledge uh, and, and of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Get wisdom. Stop looking to yourself. Stop getting all up in your head saying, I don't care what he has to say. Well, you're, you're going to continue in foolishness. That's what's, that's what's going to happen. And then finally, we come back to consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? You could sit here and get angry all day long and say, yeah, God, but I really hate the difficulty that you've brought about in life. I really hate the fact that my family's dissolved, that I lost my job, I lost my girlfriend. I, mean, I sound like a country song. Life is just coming apart at the seams. And he says this, consider the work of God. What are you going to do to change it? There's nothing you're going to do to change it. You can't make straight what he's made crooked. He's made it crooked for a purpose. And the question is this, how are you going to participate with God through wisdom? Because he has made one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. He's made it this way. He's planned it this way. And he wants you to learn this way. Do you have wisdom? Do you have understanding of life? Are you still stuck in that pattern of, yeah, but I'm just angry with him that my dad left. Just angry with him that these things happened. I just don't see how this really benefits me that he would allow these things. Before you go too far with that, let me end with this. God is the only one, the true and living God, through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who knows anything about what you're dealing with. If you want to shake your, your fist at God and say, how dare you? How dare you allow this to happen to me? You have to also understand this, that he allowed it to happen to his own son. I saw someone recently say that they hated the idea that God somehow sent his son to receive the punishment that humanity should have received. And he was very upset about this. How, how could you have that type of theology? And I'll just tell you this. It's the only way to get through life and understand who God truly is. It says in Isaiah 53, for he, verse 2, for he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. It's talking about Jesus, and it's saying he grew up like this, and he just, he didn't come from anything special. 
and he wasn't pretty, and he didn't have all these advantages. He was a carpenter's son. We're talking about Jesus here. No beauty that we should desire him. And then he comes into life and he's despised and rejected by men. He's a man of sorrows and he's acquainted with grief. He's a man who, who has come to life and he, there's sorrow. And he's dealing with grief. He's, he understands end of life. He understands what he's come here for. He understands, I didn't come here to just be comfortable and hear the laughter of fools, the song of fools, or anything else. I came here with a purpose. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The fool is somebody who says, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm cool with Jesus. But the one who has wisdom is somebody who says this, like, I am we. I, I don't esteem him. I don't like him in and of myself. I don't desire his wisdom. The creator of the universe and the way that he created all things, I don't desire that. I want all kinds of other things. But this is, he was despised and we esteemed him not. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And you can look at Jesus and you can say, you know what? Jesus is this guy who, he just had this horrific life. And if you look at history and you just say, you know, really great movement leader, but the, the problem is that, uh, you know, he, he just, he died too soon. No, he died on time. He died on time. Because it says in verse 5 of Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sin, our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus didn't come to life saying, you know what, I just want goodness because I deserve goodness because I'm royalty, y'all. He didn't come into life saying, you know what, I'm just going to avoid this stuff because I'm the son of God, you know, whatever. No, he, he's hated. He's spitting, spit on. He's, he is rejected. He's despised. And the truth about you and me, and the sooner we realize this, is that we need correction. You know where we need correction? In this first. And that is that I despised him. I looked down on him. I, in, in and of myself, don't want him. I want good things. I don't want bad things. I want pleasure. So I keep seeking after it, and I keep seeking after it. But the only thing that breaks that like, what breaks it? What breaks the cycle? What breaks the cycle from me going, you know what, I've got this goal in my life and I'm going to keep going for that. Forget my family, forget this, forget everything else. I'm going after that, I'm just going to do that thing. What breaks it? 
What br- brings you from being somebody who's just kind of like ho-hum about your Christian faith, and you're like, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. Things are going well for me. I'm going to go to this good school. Probably going to go to a Christian school. I want to tell you, I know so many people that went to a Christian school that no longer walk with Jesus. They no longer walk with Jesus. They don't want to have anything to do with him. They're weak-sauce Christians who never attend church. They think that they're Christians because at one point they said a prayer. But here's the truth about them is they esteem him not just like I didn't. We esteemed him not, but he was wounded for our transgressions. I spit on him and he dies for me. I say, forget you, God. I can get my needs fulfilled everywhere else. And he dies for me. I get angry with him and say, God, if you want me, come and get me. And he dies for me. I take whatever I want from anyone that I want. And he dies for me. That's what he does. That's the only thing that brings about true wisdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. I'm praying for our people here this morning. Lord, there's many of us, all of us to some degree or another, esteem you not, avoid your wisdom, and we think everything's fine. But we need a dose of reality, the hopelessness that comes from understanding that I have not esteemed you and that I've esteemed all other things other than the true and living God. And so what I can learn from you is that you didn't have it easy. People hated you. They crucified you. And if I'm honest, I don't even really think about that often enough. There's many of us in here that we've just viewed it as a story. We've never viewed it as life-changing. And Jesus, you want to change my life. You're not just looking for an affiliation. And so, God, I'm so thankful that you are in control of all things, that I can take the horrific things in my life and understand that those things, as well as the good things, have come from you. And while I may weep over the things that have happened and I cry over the loss of the, of the things that have taken place, I've got to understand that you lost with me, that you are crying with me. So Lord, I pray that we'd understand that, we'd see that. God, I pray that those of us here who've never made that step of faith would do so today your name we pray. Amen.